0: This morning, um, as you've seen quite a few times already during the service, is we are celebrating the Epiphany together. Um, this beautiful moment as these kings from afar come and bow down to Christ, to this child, to this baby. Um, so we're going to have a reading from the scripture. Um, and this morning, Daisy Clark is going to come read that one. Can we give Daisy a round of applause as she comes up to read?
1: Um, so the reading today is from Matthew 2, verse 1 to 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born.
0: Thanks so much, Daisy. The scripture um, there is speaking to us about this moment in time when people, foreigners from another land, have come to see this beautiful child who is born to be king. Since it was Epiphany Day, which is sort of talking about this this moment of the the revealing of the new king of the world, the the revealing of the new king of Israel, I thought it would be really appropriate this morning to explore what on earth is going on and who is this king or who is this messiah. So we're going to, for the next little bit, journey through what is and who is the messiah because these phrases are so loaded in this passage. They're not just menial things. I think it's easy for us, is like right, Jesus, Messiah, his last name, not Christ, or something like that. That's not actually what's going on. These, these phrases are laden with meaning, with context, with something really important. And if we don't realize that, we can actually miss what is going on in this passage. So Israel, you and I this morning join with the Israelites, we join with the kings, and have this sense of expectation, this sense of, I use the word already this morning, pregnancy, this kind of something is coming. Someone is coming who shall deliver us. Someone is coming who shall feed the sick and the brokenhearted. We've already heard the prophecies from earlier on in the the Old Testament this morning. This expectation of what and who was to come, who was going to change everything. But there's some really funny things that are going on in this moment as well that are quite challenging. So this morning, we're going to go through that because this morning we are talking about the other Messiah. The other Messiah. And the meaning of that will come to bear a little bit later on in this message. But we are followers of the other Messiah. And let us look at that. So we start with these kings, these Magi, these wise men, coming to adore Jesus. And I think this is such a beautiful painting by an artist, representing, look at the joy on their face. We we all, uh, what face, what, what are those emotions on those faces, everyone, this morning? Can you see that joy? I think that's a good one. Anybody else? I think there's some happiness there. I can see some teeth, which is fantastic, some smiles. They obviously had better dentists in the ancient world than I thought, but that's great. Um... But there is such joy and happiness going on in this moment, isn't there? They are here to adore adore the king of kings. But it wasn't actually a happy moment for everyone. Now, there is something that I think is so ironic and hilarious in the passage that we kind of quickly miss because we know the story too well. Uh, And let me read it for you, and I've highlighted these words. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, so rulers from another kingdom come to him and say, where is the one who has been born to be king of the Jews? Kings coming to kings asking about who the real king is. (laughs) Can you not see why it says, uh, Herod was disturbed along with all of Jerusalem? Imagine you're the boss of something, right? Someone comes in and says, who's the real boss? Where's the real boss at? Right? Imagine. (laughs) Graham's like, that's every day. (laughs) But I think, I think we can kind of like just phase past this really, really quickly. There's a reason why later on in the passage, Herod goes to try kill the guy, right? Because it's a king who all of a sudden, by the way, a little bit of background, Herod's not recognized as a king by a lot of people in the ancient world. So there are other neighboring kings and wise people coming to the person who says he's the king and saying, oh, but where's the real king at? Where's the one that we should, we, we want to come and worship him. Sorry, mate, we don't really care about you. We're here for the other guy, right? I'm sure all insecurities are all of a sudden coming to the surface. Um, I'm feeling insecure just reading it, right? Like, like, it, like, it, like this, this hurts, right? This hurts. So Herod has been challenged directly for his kingship. At the beginning of the book of Matthew, we have a moment in the story where there's not one, but Israel has two kings, And this is quite challenging. What does Israel do? What do the people do? Because it doesn't just say Herod was disturbed, it says everybody was disturbed. Mm, There's two kings. What do we do with this? And I think Matthew is a book where there's a challenge constantly throughout the whole thing, even at the end, of there's two kings, there's two messiahs, there's two people you get to choose to follow, choose wisely. It's like this Call back to Deuteronomy when Moses stands before the promised land and says, I I hold between you two choices, blessings and curses, death and life. Choose life. So this morning, we're going to explore the two kings, the two choices, the two messiahs. Are you ready to come on the journey? Oh, yeah. Thank you, five people. I'm going to be really blunt here. I grew up in like a South Sea Islander church. There was always like a lot of like interaction there was joy, I'm like expecting some hallelujahs, so someone's going to have to up the game, that's all I'm saying, is that all right? It's not going to be me. (laughs) Okay, so uh, we're exploring these two kings. So, um, now the the, the really, really cool thing about this, by the way, and we can see this like, we can see that Herod's insecure about it, because he doesn't even say, where's the king to the other people? He uses a different name, right? He doesn't go, oh, so where's the true king to be born? He gathers his officials, his smart people and says, where's the Messiah to be born? He can't acknowledge that it's another king. He can't do that. So, where's the Messiah? So, this word Messiah, Herod uses it for a specific reason and it's actually a really important phrase. Now, what I want to do is we're going to go back now We've talked about the situation we're in in this moment with the, king, with the Magi coming. Now we're going to go back and explore what is a Messiah. Well, in the ancient world, there's two really, really important things. I'm talking like the two most important things at all. Number one is called religion. It's God. How do we interact with God? And the other one is called military. <laughs> it's called how do we interact with each other, which often leads to wars, battles, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, the way we know this is a lot of biblical historians talk about whenever we celebrate a hero or someone who's held up in high regard in our scriptures and in ancient documents, they're held up in high regard because they did one of two things. They won a whole lot of battles. So, we can think of things like uh, Alexander the Great, right? He went on this massive big big military, uh, military conquest. Or someone who actually brought religious reform. Someone who was a great spiritual leader who came and changed things. So, if we think of our own scriptures, we've got two really great examples of this. So, Aaron, in the Old Testament, brought out religious reform. He kind of, in in Exodus, he really sort of talked through about, this is the way we should interact with God, this is the way it should look like. And he's really well known. He's talked about, he's, hey, from the line of Aaron, it's celebrated throughout the tradition. And then another person would be, um, I've forgotten the other person I was going to say, by the way. I should remember that one. Um, The other person is Joshua, from that same period. Joshua led these conquesting battles. He he led uh, the nation to victory, to military victory. So these two really important areas in the ancient world are religion and military victory. Now, these two tasks are actually what we'd call the job of the Messiah. Now, there is great people in history who did one of these two things, but actually the Messianic figures... And I don't want you to tie Messiah just with Jesus this morning. We're going to kind of explore it a little bit more. But the Messianic figures did both. They brought religious reform and military victory. So there's two really good examples of this in the Scriptures, of people who brought religious reform and military victory. Does anyone want to shout one out? I feel like we're in that mood this morning. David, fantastic, right? David, what does he do? He brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Religious reform, he repairs the relationship between God and the people, and, boy, does he do some military victories. Saul's killed his thousands, and David his? tens of thousands, right? He's, the story starts off with him killing a really big guy. <laughs> this is someone who is kind of embodying this messianic figure. Now this is why they're always talking about someone from the line of David, someone from the line. We want someone like David. Because he did both of these things. He, he got rid of our oppressors and he helped us commune with God. Another person, Moses. How does Moses start off? He gets the people out of slavery, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, yeah, and he starts by killing an Egyptian. That's exactly right. There's this thing going on where people, God is coming in and there's these massive things where the oppressors are finally getting what's due them. Military victory. And then he goes out into the wilderness. and I love this. And he goes and stands on a mountain and he communes with God and comes and reveals it to the people. So these two, perhaps the most important two characters in Israel's scriptures are David and Moses for this very reason. So this, these are, these two jobs are the jobs of the Messiah. But there's a really big glaring problem with both of these people as great as they were, and I'm talking they're great. Like David had God's own heart, right? Moses, he was so good, they had, they had to hide his bones because they were afraid of people worshipping him, right? These are great and amazing people that God used. But there's a big failure. They, 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 they couldn't do it to a certain point because the truth is, no matter how good they were, and they were good, everyone ended up back in slavery anyway it only lasted so long, (laughs) right? They were back there. And if it was 100, 200, 300, they went back there. So the Messiah figure then was Israel realized they needed another Messiah. But what they began to realize as well, and we start to see these coming out in Jeremiah, in Micah, the prophecies that were already read, is we can't have a Messiah like the other Messiahs because we're going to end back up in slavery anyway. We actually need God to come and be our Messiah. We need God to come and sort this out. We need it to be eternal, not temporal. So in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, we see the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which I, he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. savior. This is this affirmation that this is not just our Messiah. This is the Messiah, capital M. This is God here with us to sort this out. So, let's go back to King Herod with a bit of that background of the Messiah, what this Messiah meant, can I tell you two things about King Herod? Because during the first century, during the time of Jesus, it talks about there was lots of people claiming to be the Messiah popping up all over the place. We see this in Acts chapter 5. Gemaliel, if you know that story, where Gemaliel talks about, oh, hey, if these followers are really legit, you know, we've seen people pop up and say the Messiah heaps. There was this guy and this guy and this guy. If these guys are really legit, it'll just last the distance. That's what he says. King Herod was famous for two things in the ancient world. He rebuilt the temple, he bought religious reform, and he gave them peace to govern themselves within Rome, within the Roman Empire. So King Herod is setting himself up as this messianic figure. He's showing himself to be, to do what the Messiah was here to do. And to that guy... A few magi come and say, Where's the real king? <laughs> Where's the real one? Because there was a bunch of people who thought that even though King Herod had done these things, he was doing it just for himself. That even though King Herod had given them peace underneath the Roman occupation, they were still under Roman occupation. And to him, they come and said, Where's the real king? He's disturbed he's offended, (laughs) he's a little bit insecure. So, the epiphany, and this is where we're arriving, is actually the world revealing to us Jesus, the true Messiah. The Messiah that creation itself, a star is pointing to this guy being someone special. Where foreigners from nations from everywhere are coming to bow down to this child, this special Messiah. But it actually does even more than that, right? Matthew's playing with us all here to show us something really important. Because where is he born? He's born in Bethlehem, where David came from. He's saying like, hey, he comes from the same place as David, remember him? And what happens directly after that? He goes to Egypt <laughs> and he comes out of Egypt, like who? Like Moses. So Matthew begins to reveal to us, do you know these bi- the two big hot shots? Jesus comes from the same place. He's come from the same stock and he's come to be our true Messiah, like David, like Moses, Can you see how this is piecing together? And what's the first thing? Remember uh, where, where Jesus goes to deliver his big message that he announces to everyone what he's about? Where does he do it? On the side of a mountain. The Sermon on a Mount, like Moses. It's this thing. Matthew's going, hey, one like Moses is here. And what do the people yell out to him? Son of David, son of David, son of David. It's this constant adoration, this constant mentioning, you are someone special. The one, the Messiah is here. So what was this Messiah about? And I feel like everything we've read from Isaiah 60, it all is kind of summarized so beautifully. And this is Isaiah 61 being quoted here. But Jesus, in his kind of This is what the Messiah is about. This is what the Messiah is coming to do. This is his message. This is my kingdom. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus here is fulfilling his messianic job his messianic vocation, and you can feel that people are getting it because people start to follow. (laughs) And he's walking around with 12 others, right? A new Israel is kind of walking around with a new king, showing this new way to do life, a way that they've never been, they've never seen before. And he's saying, hey, you've heard it said to you, but I say unto you, Jesus, the new king, the Messiah, is here to do something. So, Jesus, he comes from the right stock. He comes from the right places. He's looking like the right people. So how else does he begin to show this fulfillment of the messianic task, the messianic vocation? Well, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And if you look at Matthew chapter 21, the heading of the, like the, heading of the chapter, it's so clear. It's just Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. He's coming to Jerusalem to do something. And he rides in on a donkey, like Solomon did. Son of David, son of David, they scream. And where does he go? To the temple. Because he needs to bring some religious reform. He needs to start flip some tables. You can feel the pregnancy in the air. You can feel the disciples, the groups following him going, we know what's coming. The religious reform is here. He's come to transform our communing with God. It's all changed. Yes, finally it's happening. He's flipping over tables. He's getting rid of the money changers. He's going, hey, you're not doing what God wants you to do. The air is thick with anticipation. It's thick with expectation. It's thick with what's coming next. Now, I know in this church, over the last month, we've been uh, using AI imagery. This is a bit of a change up here. This is the funny part. Uh, AI imagery. I just want to show some of the risks of AI imagery. I, we, someone put Jesus flips over tables into artificial intelligence. This is how it read it. <laughs> okay? So everyone, there are, there are pitfalls. There are pitfalls to AI imagery. It's not good, right? If you're worried about AI taking over, that's what, they're trying, that's what they're doing, guys. They don't know what's going on. That's not what it means when it says Jesus flips over tables, by the way, but I think you got that. But Jesus is in the table, not flipping over tables like that, but he's flipping over tables. He's making a change. The air is thick with something to happen. I can imagine the people whispering to each other, hey, did you hear? He's from Bethlehem. Hey, did you, did, do you know? We, that's why we call him son of David. Hey, he rode in on a donkey like Solomon. Hey, he, did, he, he spoke a message on a mountain like Moses. Hey, there was even a star when he was born. Kings from around the place came and bowed down to him. There is just, I can, there's this groundswell beginning to, beginning to happen. but it gets cut short because they're all anticipating something to come next, which is bloodshed, right? They're looking for an uprising, but it gets cut short. He gets betrayed. The revolution has failed. He did did half the job. Religious reforms there, but he didn't do military victory. He didn't deliver them from their oppressors like they thought. There are disappointed hearts everywhere. Do you know how disappointing it even was for them that when he came to get taken away by people with swords and clubs, he even tells his disciples, the guys who were ready, don't fight, just let it happen. One of them even strikes, he says, don't do that. Just let him take me. How disappointing. All of a sudden, their hopes and dreams are dashed because he refuses to do it the way they've always thought it to be done. Because he refuses to do it the way that it's been done before. And he gets taken away. And he ends up in this place where Pilate is asking these questions. People are disappointed. Some start walking back to Emmaus. (laughs) People are hurt. They're despondent. They thought he was the one. We thought this was it. We had our expectations. We thought it was going to work out. But he ends up This failed Messiah, this disappointment in front of a crowd of people getting to choose between him and another of who they want to be released. The story started with the announcement of a king, of people from other nations bowing down to this child, this other king in the nation, but then the story here now comes to a part when there's another Messiah standing next to him. Because the way it talks about Jesus Barabbas is it says he was well known, that he led an uprising and an insurrection and committed murder. Hello, this is military coup talk. This is a battle talk. This is military uprising talk. This is what the Messiah was supposed to do. And the people there were confronted with a choice. Choose now this day whom you shall serve. Shall you serve the one who led you, who got you free from your oppressors, but you're going to end back up there anyway? Are you going to choose the one who said, I'm willing to kill for you? Or will you choose the failed Messiah, the other Messiah who says, I won't kill for you, but I'll die for you? This is the confronting question of them there. But this is the confronting question of all of us today. What do we want to be delivered from? From that people, from that group. It just... If we, if we just got rid of all of them, it'd be okay. <laughs> of this political party or that political party or this sort of person in our society. If we just got rid of, everything would work out. Or are we choosing and following the other Messiah, the rejected Messiah, the failed Messiah, who says it's not about delivering you from those oppressors. It's about delivering you for things that are far worse that you can't see. Sin, corruption, greed, lust, hate, envy. Is that the Messiah we follow? We choose. They chose then and we choose today, every day do we follow the kingdom of this world or do we follow the eternal kingdom? That is the choice. Jesus or Barabbas. And it's a hard choice because it's easy to point at someone and say, I want deliverance from them or from that. If I can have the band up. I think when push comes to shove. Humanity constantly chooses deliverance from the immediate oppression of that which we can see when there is something far more evil, far more sinister than the Roman Empire. (laughs) Or that group or this group. The kingdom of this world teaches us. The Messiah Barabbas teaches us to overthrow our enemies with any means necessary. Lie, steal, murder if you must. But the eternal kingdom. The eternal kingdom says something much different. It says to turn the other cheek. To tell the good news that there is freedom to those slavery, That there is sight for the blind. That there is food for the hungry. And that there is love for those who do not know Which kingdom do you choose? Which Messiah do you choose? Let us not choose the Messiah who would kill for us, but let us choose the Messiah who chose to die for us. Would you stand with me? If I could have the attendance to hand out and prepare the communion for us, please. Because communion is about us remembering That victory doesn't come through the bloodshed of many. It doesn't come through the deliverance from those oppressors, but it comes from the bloodshed of one and the broken body of one. Communion, when we eat and drink together, we celebrate what God has done and continues to do. We celebrate and worship, not the Messiah of this world who we often choose, but we celebrate and worship the other Messiah, the rejected Messiah, the forgotten Messiah, the failed Messiah, but the Messiah whose reign is eternal, whose lasts forever. So may we be like the nations from around the world who have come to bow down to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lord. May Jesus Christ be revealed to us as the Messiah whose kingdom is eternal.